Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows and more information by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can find my contact information there as well. So we are in June, and June is Pride Month, celebrating the LGBTQ community. Today we're going to spill the tea and focus on the T of that acronym. Today I have two trans vegan advocates joining us, Mackenzie and Pax. It's going to be a very special show with two very special guests, and I'm excited to share it with you. I did an outreach table with my organization Compassionate Living at the Pride Festival in Santa Rosa, California earlier this month, and that was a lot of fun. If you are newly joining us from meeting me at that event, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. For anyone that's new, if you go to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, I have all the past podcasts categorized by subject and interest in a drop-down menu, so shows focused on like climate change and the environment, or anti-oppression work and animal rights, or chickens, or whatever you might want to learn about. So you can look at those categories, uh, find some past shows to listen to. I hope you check those out. So before we get into the interviews, I did just want to touch on a couple of things. I wanted to acknowledge the place that we are in as a country in mourning here in the U.S. with all the mass shootings. It's hard. It's hard to ignore. It's hard for me to ignore. It's hard to not think about. There have been so many in a row. You almost become numb to it, right? Like you kind of have to become numb to it to function, Uh, But of course, it's extra horrible when it's children. And I grew up in Texas, I went to school in Texas. And so having this latest shooting be in Texas, be kids in Texas, it, you know, it really affected me and touched me. And uh, it's just it's a lot. It's a lot to process. And it's hard to have hope. It's it's hard to find the good in these moments when it's just so, so unthinkably horrible. But I do think we have to. We have to look for the good and try to find the hope. And there was something that happened recently that for me was so hopeful, a, a positive distraction, we'll call it that, and uh, and a reminder of a recent victory. And that was that Ringling Brothers Circus announced that they're coming back just without the animals. They're going on tour, but with no animals. And I love this. I really love this. You know, I worked on circus issues in the 90s. It was one of my main focuses, actually. We focused on smaller circuses, not Ringling Brothers, but the small circuses with animals that came through Sonoma County, California. And on a on a happy side note, I'm I'm thrilled to report that all those circuses that we targeted back then have either stopped using animals or have gone out of business. But then in the 2000s, my focus shifted to farmed animals, but I would still go down to the Oakland Coliseum and other places and support activists that that carried on the battle with Ringling Brothers and would go, you know, I'd go down and, and protest and support when I could. 
And I was grateful to those activists that, that kept the pressure on Ringling. And of course, they did shut down and eventually transferred all the animals out of their facilities. But now they've announced that they're coming back without the animals. And I, and I really love this because that's all we wanted. We didn't want the circus to go out of business. We just wanted them to stop abusing and torturing animals. That's all. So I'm really excited to see this happening. I will possibly buy a ticket when they come here to the Bay Area. I want them to be rewarded for changing their model, even though, you know, they did it under duress and not for altruistic reasons, but they did. And and I hope it works. I think it would be awesome to go to the show and walk in the doors and think about the decades that I was outside protesting and that we won this one. There is now at least one little corner of the world where animals no longer suffer because of the diligence and persistence of a few loud, compassionate people. It's pretty cool. Okay, so getting into our program for today... While this is a vegan animal rights podcast, I have always had sympathy and empathy with every marginalized human community on the planet, uh, as well as the planet itself, and I feel strongly that all oppressions are connected and we can't ignore everything else beyond the non-human animals. Uh, I don't think that's the best strategy. I think that we are stronger when we expand uh, our scope, our focus, uh, broaden it to include everyone. And there is one community that touches me really deeply, and that is the oppression of the trans community. I I get this I get this kind of mothering or protective instinct around the trans community and when I hear about the just uh, ugly hateful things that this community faces and and I and I will say right here that we will be talking about some things on this episode that might be triggering for some that might be difficult for some so please go into it with that knowledge So I listened to this other podcast about trans issues that I love called Gender Reveal, and I highly recommend it. And one of our guests today has been a guest on that podcast. Uh, Mackenzie is a vegan and works in animal rights, and I invited her on the show today to share with us the struggles and the joys of being trans in the world today. We will also hear from Pax, a longtime vegan and advocate in Uh, my area of Northern California, and we will be hearing from PAX later in the show. So let's get started now with Mackenzie. Okay, today we have joining us Mackenzie Griffler. Mackenzie has a background as a journalist and a documentary filmmaker, and she holds a certification in animal sanctuary management from the University of Utah's School of Professional Education, which is really cool that they offer that. She is currently executive director at the Open Sanctuary Project. Welcome to the podcast, Mackenzie. Thank you so much, Hope. Well, we're so glad that you could join us today, and we like to start the podcast with your vegan origin story. So why did you go vegan? When did you go vegan? What drew you down the vegan path? Sure. 
So I grew up in an on-again, off-again vegetarian household, which, you know, I think a lot of your guests might relate to and knowing how in some ways that makes you closer to veganism and in some ways it makes you further away from it. And it was in college that I finally like actually committed to being a vegetarian. And from the end of college for a few years after, my very closest friend from college, who I love dearly, who was a vegan, basically very kindly but firmly asked me repeatedly to justify my vegetarianism versus going vegan, Mm. like all the time. And I happened to be a very patient person and I knew that this was a good natured discussion. So I... I just started having conversations and honestly, like a lot of vegetarians, I just hadn't looked into it. And the more arguments I tried to make and the more research that I did to counteract their arguments, the more I realized how little I knew about animal suffering. And it was until I was out of arguments, basically, Hmm. that I realized that if I was going to be morally consistent, which I'd like to think I am, I decided that I had to go plant-based. And after that, I learned a lot more about the immense suffering of animals on the planet and veganism followed pretty soon after that. So I was rare, one of those very rare people that got logic into veganism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's great that you were open to, you know, the, uh, the, the argumentation and to um, defend and that, and that is true. It's kind of, you go down that path and each, each argument kind of breaks down. So yeah, that's great. Well, so Mackenzie, you are a trans woman and it is Pride Month and we are here today wanting to honor the queer community, bring attention to issues around that. And you have been working in the animal rights movement for six years. And I'm curious what drew you to animal rights work and do you see a connection with trans rights? So I wanted to start from very much at the top that to say that I'm just one individual white trans lady and these perspectives that I'm about to share have been much better expressed and theorized by many, many, many other trans activists and academics. So I don't want anyone to take my words as quote unquote the trans experience. And by nature of this limited time we have together, I'm going to be leaving out people and experiences. And I hope that people that are legitimately interested seek out more knowledge and perspectives. But to to answer your question, once I was vegan, you know, proper vegan, not just plant-based, helping animals on a bigger scale rather than just, you know, arguing with people on message boards and fighting that good fight, it just felt like it was always going to be in my life's picture at some point or another. And I vaguely thought for a long time that I was going to be starting my own animal sanctuary someday, which I'm sure many, many people listening can relate to that sentiment. Um, Not that I had any experience working with farmed animals, not that I had any idea of what a sanctuary really was, but there is this vague hope in my mind that that's what I was going to do. And my current work is a reflection of that seed belief. And while I might start a micro sanctuary someday, I doubt I would ever do the big nonprofit sanctuary model like I assumed that I would have when I first went vegan. I think trans rights and animal rights have a lot of connections, but Really, if we boil it all down, the chief concern is who is allowed to have anonymy and control of the narrative of their life and who is not allowed access to those things? And how can we make a world kinder and more understanding for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Well said. 
that's such a, a huge part, I think, of uh, animal rights work is uh, autonomy over the animal's bodies. And that applies to so many um, oppressions. Yeah. So your work is with the Open Sanctuary Project, and we actually recently had Tara Hess on the podcast from that organization as well. So what is the Open Sanctuary Project, just briefly, and what do you do there? So to put it all in a little nutshell, the Open Sanctuary Project is a nonprofit that has a lot of really smart, really kind experts working to create guidance to improve animal sanctuaries and rescues and help people responsibly start them and establish an accessible database on the lifelong compassionate care of farmed animals and other exploited species, all from the lens of collective liberation and all free of charge. Mm. I'm the executive director there. Um, originally, I was the only person there and I was in charge of building it from the ground up by myself. And now I am so blessed that I have some very wonderful colleagues who are on that journey with me. So you said that you know, that you thought you would start a sanctuary and I, and that many people can relate to that. And I, I totally get that. I think that lots of people go into this work, learn about veganism, hear about the animal suffering, and we just want to rescue animals. <laughs> uh, but, but as we know, it's not that simple sometimes. And it's really wonderful to have this kind of a resource, the Open Sanctuary Project, for people, not only big sanctuaries, but just anyone that wants to rescue on any scale, micro sanctuary, or even if you're just rescuing one chicken, it's really a wonderful resource. So um, great work. Yeah, we really believe that sanctuary is more a state of mind than any specific thing. Mm. And sanctuary Sanctuary can be accessible to everyone. You don't have to go out and buy attractive land in the woods to start an animal sanctuary. If you yeah. have space, you know, if you can save one chicken and give them a wonderful life as a companion, that too is sanctuary and it should be celebrated in our movement. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So Mackenzie, would you feel comfortable sharing a little of your transition story? Sure. I will start this off by saying that no trans person owes anyone the narrative of their life or transition, and me sharing this should not come as an endorsement for anyone to expect the same from anyone else in their life. Yeah. But to put it very succinctly, because obviously everyone's life story is very long, I was very aware that there was something discordant in my with how my life was going when I was quite young, but I wasn't in an environment where I felt like it would be safe to explore or express that. I can pick out a lot of moments growing up where there were clear signs of my gender dysphoria, but it wasn't really a time where these words and these constructs are quite as accessible as they are these days. So I didn't publicly come out as trans until I was 25 or so, despite having an awareness of it for, for much longer. Mm. And honestly, even then, even as a 25 year old, it was terrifying to come out. It's very scary to come out at any age. Yeah. You know, 25, you think you have some semblance of your life together and you can figure yourself out, it's still terrifying. Mm. And, you know, now years later, I wish I had felt more self-trust and more bravery to be able to come out much earlier. But I, I also need to recognize that my current life is quite privileged and I need to be able to see the good of my trajectory instead of wondering about how my life might've been different. So, you know, there's no wrong time to come out. So that's all to say that you know, transitioning saved my life. That's, that's kind of all I really want people to take away from it. Yeah. I, I have seen that and heard that 
from so many trans people in the research that I've been doing and documentaries that I've seen. I'm so grateful that you were able to find your footing and find your true self. So you mentioned that trans people shouldn't have to share their story. Uh, we, of course, you know, talked before and um, set this up so that you could share this with us. Uh, but, but are there things that aren't appropriate to ask a trans person? What should we avoid saying? What should we not say? I think there's a lot of things, but I'll keep a pretty short list. And this is really, if you don't already have a close connection with someone who's already said that it's cool to ask them questions, um, and even if they did, like maybe think twice before asking these questions, yeah. but it's, it's no trans person's job to answer questions about their coming out narrative or to explain their gender dysphoria to you. It's not appropriate to ask a trans person how they picked their name if they have a, an updated name or what their name used to be. That's a very inappropriate question. It's not appropriate to ask them anything to do about their body or alterations to it, surgical or otherwise. Um, you know, even positive comments, like, you know, just maybe think twice before commenting on someone's appearance. And that really goes for any human on this planet, I think. Because you never know, like, what you might think is something that you're saying is nice might actually be a little upsetting for somebody. Mm. It's not a trans person's job to take time to educate you about trans issues or attitudes about things. And it's especially not a trans person's job to help you process dealing with somebody transitioning in your life, be it that person or somebody else. It's not their job to be your transition therapist. You can work that out with a trusted person or a counselor. And you don't need to ever ask a trans person why they're making certain transition decisions or not. And I would say, finally, it's not a trans person's job to give you constant reassurance that you're a good ally, especially if you're constantly messing up their name or pronouns, because it's not their job to center your discomfort and make it again, you again. Because no matter how hard you think it might be to gender a person properly, even if you've known them their whole lives, it's much harder for them just to be trans at all. Yeah. Yeah. And not asking questions about their body or what they, what their transition plans are or whatever. If this one, this one just seems really common sense to me. It's like, you would never ask someone about their body, especially private parts, you know, uh, come on, let's, you know, be, be respectful of people's bodies. And that, again, that goes for any, any human. I don't care if your sister trans, like maybe think right. before making comments on people's appearance. Yeah, absolutely. So when we chatted recently, I was mentioning how much trans representation I was seeing in the media and that there was much more positive representation uh, than in the past. And you said that trans visibility is a double-edged sword. What did you mean by that? So as a community, on the heels of gay marriage being legalized for now, because God knows that could go away at any time at this point, oh. there was a Time Magazine article in 2014 that talked about the trans tipping point. And it was this really big deal. And then there was this belief that kind of followed that time that now that there's more trans people visible, you know, out in society, having public jobs, being actors, being musicians, that surely society must accept trans people more and trans rights must be in a better place onto a trajectory 
of some degree of equity, Mm. but without actual protections from the law, we can now see the other side of visibility, which is these anti-trans bills happening in recent time, and especially this year, are some of the most aggressive anti-trans legislation in the United States history. And unfortunately, very few allies are saying anything about it. So we're out in the open, like, great, we made ourselves visible, and now it feels like there's just a target on our backs. Yeah, well, it might go into the next question, but I I do want to talk a little bit about these bills because I think people just don't even know. I mean, they may hear about one that gets media attention, but there are like hundreds, right? Or something like that, at least dozens. there, There are hundreds. Yeah, it's just crazy. So my next question was about trans issues and what you think are the most pressing trans issues now. And, and maybe you can talk about these bills as well, because of course that, that goes along with that. There are a lot of issues facing the trans community and I don't, I could not possibly highlight every one of them, yeah. you know, we, ranging from like domestic violence, to incarceration, but I do want to give voice to a few. One the incomprehensible number of hate crimes and murders of trans people, specifically trans people of color, specifically Black and Latina trans women. Last year, 2021, was the most violent year on record for trans people. Mm. I want to say that again. 2021 was the most violent year on record in terms of the killing of trans individuals in the United States. Mm. These are individuals who had stories and lives and they had love, and they were murdered for being who they are. And this followed 2020, which prior to 2021 was the most violent year on record for transgender individuals in the United States. I cannot express enough how horrifying that is. And to build on that, as we just talked about, the last few years up until now, there's been substantial and horrifying anti-trans legislation across the country. There's been over 200 anti-LGBT bills filed in 2022, with a large amount of those specifically targeting trans people, more specifically trans children. And the thing that's most chilling about these bills, other than the fact that few people seem to be speaking up about them or even aware of them in their own communities, is that they're often used to cascade into bigger, scarier bands and continue to normalize the hatred of trans people. Hmm. So this is, to be very clear, a concentrated effort to erase trans people from public spaces, to prohibit trans healthcare outright, and to punish parents and supportive adults just for listening to children. Hmm. This kind of legislation leads to so much pain, suffering, and death in the queer community. And it feels like it's only getting worse. There's just too many of them to go into specifics, but it's very easy that listeners can learn a lot more about specific things happening in their states and what they can do to actually fight these things. I think I shared with you in the show notes, there's, there's a, there's a bill tracker that you can go to and see what's happening in your state. And outside of these issues, trans healthcare is just extremely expensive, time-consuming and difficult to access even if you have privilege and even if you have a decent job and even if you have decent insurance, because don't forget trans people have to do all the same life stuff that everyone else has to do on top of dealing with the medical system and insurance claims and bureaucracy and insurance rarely covers most trans healthcare in most of the country. 
And this is all on top of systemic anti-trans biases. And that's if you're already very lucky at the moment. Hmm. Not to mention that trans people often make much, much less income than their peers due to bias against trans people and a lack of support. So despite transmission being the very best thing I've ever done in my life, I think we also need to envision a world where access to these things isn't so impossibly small that only a select few can get everything they need to feel whole in the world. But I recognize that's all a lot of bleak stuff. And I think it's also important to focus on all the good that comes from transition despite these issues, not because of transition, but because of the systems in place to prohibit it. Being trans is not bad. I love being trans every single day. And the trans people I know in my life love being trans. What we don't love is a system that's built to harm us, basically. Yeah. So I want to ask how our listeners uh, can be, and, and the community in general, can be better allies to trans people. There's a lot of ways, big and small, that anyone who wants to practice better allyship to trans people can do so. First off, just believe trans people when they say that they might experience the inner or outer world differently than you do. It's okay if your gender aligns with that assigned to you at birth, but you can also extend a little grace to maybe understand that that's not the universal experience. And if someone comes to you and asks to try on a new name or pronouns, don't give them a spiel about how hard it is for you. It's so much harder for them just to ask. So just try your best. A recent study proves that this entire thing about believing trans people, as the trans community already knew, is true for trans kids too. Kids who identify as trans overwhelmingly continue to do so into adulthood. And being one supportive adult, even if you're just a family friend or a librarian, or I don't care who, if you're one supportive adult, studies show that you can save the life of a child who's in an otherwise unsupportive environment. Mm, Wow. Secondly, just stand up for trans people if someone in your life says something awful. Show people that you actually care instead of keeping it to yourself. Yeah. People are so much more willing to listen to cis allies than to trans people. And unfortunately, it can feel very isolating and exhausting to have to do this work alone and feel like nobody will speak up for you. Third, if you're in a state with current anti-trans legislation, tell your legislators that you don't stand for it. Often this legislation is a way to protect women, obviously women who aren't trans. And if you're a cis woman, you need to tell them that this legislation doesn't represent your values and that you stand with trans people. And if terrible bills are defeated or protections are passed for trans people, actually thank your legislators and say that means a lot to you. This actually does make a big difference. It's not hard to like leave a comment email or to leave a voicemail. Um, I think finally, if someone comes out to you as trans, whether you already knew or not, please treat them with grace and kindness. Acknowledge that coming out is a very vulnerable, brave thing to do. Even if you think that, oh, of course you're a safe person, don't ever downplay a coming out moment. Don't make it about yourself and how you once did a hard thing. Just be there for that person. Thank them for telling you and ask them what support looks like in this moment. And then please, 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 please do not ever out someone who came out to you to someone else if you don't know for sure if that person already knows. Mm. 
because outing someone is best case uncomfortable, worst case could literally put someone's safety at risk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you said something about just being kind, being respectful. And I think that it's just what it all boils down to, to me is just be accepting of everyone. It, it, that's kind of baseline, right? It's like your basic manners, being a good neighbor, being a good community member, just be kind. I feel, I, I kind of feel like a mom here, you know, just like, didn't, didn't they, didn't your mom teach you <laughs> be kind and compassionate to others. And, and I kind of feel like that's why I feel veganism is like a baseline too. you know, don't hurt others. Don't hurt animals. Don't hurt anyone. Um, humans, non-humans, the planet. And, and, and I think that is my business, whether you're hurting someone, you know, that's my business because I don't want you to hurt someone. We, we don't want to hurt each other, but beyond that, what you do to make you comfortable in the world, to make you happy, who cares? That is not my business, right? <laughs> I just, I don't get it. But as we know, some people do care about this and not in a loving and caring way. And that's why we have to have months like pride month to talk about these things. But I just, um, I just, oh, I don't get why some people would be so hurtful and cruel to concern themselves, insert themselves into someone else's business, uh, as to how you choose to be in the world, how you show up in the world. So so coming back to the animals and the animal rights movement, we're now seeing a shift towards more inclusion, uh, more anti-oppression work and making those connections, which I'm so glad to see. How do you see the shift and how can we make that part of the movement stronger? So I think that the animal rights movement is just barely starting to grapple with consistent anti-oppression and collective liberation. And some organizations seem to be working to put these into better practice. And other organizations might just kind of based on the lip service phase, talking about how it's important, but not actually doing anything. And I think it's absolutely critical for us as a movement to consider how we can better reach out to other movements in genuine acts of allyship, not just lip service, not just I do this, you do this because issues with animals cannot be considered in a vacuum. We need to be building a world that is equitable and safe for all non-humans and humans alike. And we can't do that with the limited tactics that our movement has taken in the past. Do we really believe that a world can be quote unquote vegan without addressing other systems of oppression that are causing suffering and death to so many? Um, Single issue veganism, often ends up excluding so many wonderful, compassionate people who could be helping to change the world. And it ends up pushing people out who are already in the movement who don't want to be dealing with things like racism, sexism, lack of access to opportunities, disability stigma, and so much more. The movement needs to create genuine opportunities for other kinds of activists, and we need to do better to distribute resources and power. Yeah, very much agreed. I'm glad to see that there is kind of an awakening to this uh, this needed shift, and uh, I hope that you know we can speed it up and do even more. So, Mackenzie, we always wrap up with this question: What gives you hope for the future? So, 
In terms of trans stuff, one thing that my friend Jerrica, who's much older and wiser than me, once said, um, actually gives me a lot more perspective, even if it's maybe going to sound a little grim. But basically, they said that even though all this current anti-trans backlash is very scary and very upsetting and actively killing people, they remember a time just one or two decades ago when it was completely acceptable for everybody to hate trans people, regardless of political affiliation. Mm. At that time, all trans representation on TV was either dead people or really, really awful jokes all over the place. Yeah. The fact that we've gotten this far with people accepting trans people is kind of incredible. And I want to keep that in mind and hope for more rather than focusing on the scary things. I appreciate so much you being on Mackenzie. It's uh, been a really, really eye-opening conversation for me. And, uh, and I hope very much for everyone. And uh, thank you so, so much for being here, being open, being vulnerable. And, uh, and we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so we are now going to transition to our second interview with PAX. Here we go. All right, let's bring in PAX now. Pax Ahimsa Gethin is a blogger, a photographer, a Wikipedia editor, and a longtime vegan. And Pax and I know each other from Bay Area activist circles, and I'm so glad that they could join us today. Hi, Pax. I hope. Thanks for having me. Of course. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Yay. So, Pax, let's start off right away by getting to know you. And what would you say your gender identity is? So I identify both as a gender and as a trans male. And what I mean by that is I transitioned from female to male for medical and legal purposes. But I'm agender because I don't associate gender with any particular clothing, mannerisms, hobbies, or beliefs. Mm. Um, the only thing important to remember is that my pronouns are they, them, there. Wonderful. So, and Pax, and I know that you also identify as vegan. So tell us when you went vegan, why you went vegan. What was your vegan journey? Sure. For me, my path to veganism has always been primarily motivated by compassion and a desire to not kill or cause unnecessary harm to other animals. So I went vegetarian, ovo-lacto-vegetarian, as many vegans do at first back in 92, and finally, in 2011, I had eliminated eggs and dairy uh, from my diet for good, having had multiple false, false starts over the mm. years. And then um, in 2014, which was during the first year of my gender transition, I went further and also eliminated honey and my remaining clothing that it was animal derived and paid much more attention to other products that were made from animals. Mm. So, and so you were vegetarian a long time. It's been decades. Uh, yeah, 30 yeah. years. It's <laughs> hard to believe that much time has passed, but yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Wonderful. What was it specifically though that uh, got you to do the transitioning from vegetarian to vegan? Was it a particular piece of, of 
information or? Yeah, there wasn't any single particular motivating factor. I had always intended to go vegan. It was just a matter of motivation. I think if I had known more vegans like you back when I was on my journey from vegetarianism, I would have made the journey much quicker. Yeah, I (laughs) I wish we knew each other back then. (laughs) So do I. And, you know, internet and things like that. Social media didn't exist, you know, in 92. Now with things like podcasts like this, it's much easier to get this information. Yes. And to connect. Yeah. So do you see a connection between being vegan and being trans? So I'll answer that with a bit of a story. Um, My own gender transition beginning in 2013 happened to coincide with the beginnings of the Black Lives Matter movement. And through this, I just had a growing awareness of oppression of everyone and the interconnections between oppression of my fellow animals and my fellow humans. And I chose the name Pax Ahimsa, which translates to peace and nonviolence as a constant reminder to be nonviolent to all. So I became more active, you know, in vegan and animal rights circles just after my gender transition as a result of seeing these connections. So I wouldn't say that there's in general a connection between being vegan and being trans, but that is the connection uh, on my journey that I had. Mm. And and your name, yeah, Pax Ahimsa, break that down for us. Tell us the, the origins of, of those words. Sure. So Pax is Latin for peace. Yeah. And Ahimsa is Sanskrit for do no harm, which yeah. is often just translated to nonviolence. And, you know, I legally changed my name to Pax Ahimsa Gethin. So I can literally say that Ahimsa is my middle name. <laughs> yeah, nonviolence is your middle name. I love that. Yeah. That's so awesome. Literally my middle name. Yeah, fantastic. So it is Pride Month. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and yeah, and I actually just uh, recently uh, did a table at the Santa Rosa Pride Festival. That was mm. a lot of fun. And I'll certainly be coming down for the San Francisco Pride as I do every year. Yay. Um, yeah. So what do the Pride celebrations mean to you? So for me, Pride is about celebrating our survival in the face of oppression. I mean, not a lot of people know this, but here in San Francisco, the Compton's cafeteria riots in 1966 predated the more well-known Stonewall riots in New York City by three years. And in both of these cases, these were riots against police oppression led by trans people, primarily by trans women of color. They might not have called themselves trans then, they went by other names, but we would see them today as trans or gender non-conforming or gender diverse. And now in the same place as the Compton's Cafeteria in the Tenderloin in San Francisco is an entire district, a transgender district, which was founded and is still led by black trans women. And the board of directors for San Francisco Pride is now majority trans people and a trans woman is the executive director. So this, you know, shows our rise from oppression to leadership. And, you know, we are still certainly being oppressed in society by the police. This has not gone away in the last 50 years, sadly, Mm. but we are certainly making progress. So that's what pride means to me. Hmm. And and what were those the the Compton riots? Is that what you uh, said? 
sure, the Compton's Cafeteria Riots. It was a oh. cafeteria owned by Gene Compton back in the 60s that was frequented by uh, trans and queer folks. Oh. And Stonewall, the Stonewall Inn in New York City is the other uh and that's location. the one we know that we really yes. hear about. <laughs> that's the yeah. one that we hear about more. Yeah, but but in both like... of those cases, you know, there were gay men and lesbians involved in these uh, riots as well. But trans people, especially trans women of color, are often erased from these stories. Mm -hmm. So here in San Francisco, it's important for us to remember that. Yeah. Maybe we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to some information about that piece of history. I mm -hmm. I'd like to learn more. Yeah. yeah, in San Francisco, we even have an entire Transgender History Month now in August that was started wow. last year. So it's a big deal to us here. That's cool. I love it. Yeah. And, and speaking of San Francisco, I know that you worked in an office for, for trans advocacy there in San Francisco. Can, can you talk a little about that? Maybe what, what that office did, what you did there. Sure. So for two and a half years, uh, ending fairly recently, I worked in the Office of Transgender Initiatives, which is an official office of the city of San Francisco. So we would advise the mayor and the board of supervisors. We had a trans advisory committee uh, made up of trans and non-binary community members from the San Francisco Bay Area who would talk about what their community needed. And we would talk to the board of supervisors and the mayor once a year for trans advocacy week and make our case and get budget funding for it, which was great. Um, we're addressing homelessness. We're having a guaranteed income program that's going to be rolling out soon. So it's made a lot of uh, progress. What I did personally was a uh, primarily communication, social media, website management, that sort of thing. And I also did some office administration, but everybody on our staff was trans or non-binary. So it was wonderful to be, you know, in a place where I could be in an all trans office and know that I could be my authentic self and not be questioned about it. Wow. Wow. And, and, and that, that's a, an office of the San Francisco government. Yes. Yes. It's an official government office. Wow. The first in the country and possibly still only in the country. Wow. Uh, gotta love California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> San Francisco, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Can't speak for the whole state, but I love right. it here. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Wow. So Pax, I know that you had a special meeting, a special bond with an alpaca <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. At Vine Sanctuary. Can you tell us about that story and about uh, that, that alpaca? Sure. So back in the summer of 2018, I was visiting uh, my spouse Ziggy's family in Vermont. And before we went, I contacted Patrice Jones, the uh, founder and owner of Vine Sanctuary, to see if we could get a visit. And she graciously agreed to give us a tour. And one of the animals I was very excited to meet was Domino, who is a neurodivergent alpaca, who mm. I knew about from their social media. He's kind of a star on there. And um, so I went to meet him and Patrice uh, let me know that he came from a petting zoo and was not too uh, into getting petted. So it'd be better just to kind of put my face close to his. And I did that and he leaned his face close to mine and breathed on me and it was very sweet mm. and um, 
Yeah. I guess the connection for me um, with being, although I have not been officially diagnosed as neurodivergence, there is a known crossover between non-binary people like myself and neurodivergent people. And what I mean by that is people who kind of perceive the world a little bit differently. People on the autism spectrum, for example, are neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of felt a connection there. I mean, I, I don't know what is going on in Domino's mind as well as Patrice and, <laughs> and his other human friends do, but but I understand that he was uh, he was neurodivergent, and sadly he just passed away last week. They uh, I saw the post on Facebook, so he will be greatly missed. Oh yeah, well I'm I'm, I'm grateful that he had a, a nice long life and a happy place. He did a good place. Yeah, that's good. Vine Aww. Sanctuary is is wonderful. It's queer queer owned and operated, uh, queer run, it's LGBTQ sanctuary. So I'm very happy that it exists. Yeah. In Vermont, right? In Vermont. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. So Pax, you know, we talk a lot on this show about the humane hoax, of course, the, uh, you know, labeling and language, trying to soften what's happening mm. in these horrible places with, you know, cage free and free range and right. organic and all that. Did you have any thoughts on the humane hoax? Yeah, it really bothers me that people are making the excuse that it's okay to consume animal bodies or products because they were so-called humanely raised because, you know, we know, even though the general public doesn't, that that's just not happening. I mean, yeah, there, especially for farmed birds, there's no regulations. There's nothing yeah. preventing them from harm. And when I see, you know, I think I just saw a headline the other day about um, there was a outbreak of bird flu and it said, the, you know, the birds were killed in the most inhumane way possible. And I didn't even read it because I thought, well, why do we, why are we farming these birds in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> it's the eating the birds that's inhumane, you know, to begin right, with. Right. If you have a problem with birds being, you know, quote unquote, euthanized in a quote unquote inhumane way, how about not eating the birds, not yeah. eating their eggs? Yeah. Let's start with that, yeah. you know, yeah. before we start criticizing the measures taken in these circumstances. And I've heard so many about so many ex-vegans, you know, who like are now eating animals again with the excuse that it's okay now because they only eat humanely raised meat. And that's, I won't even say the word meat, you know, I say animal flesh. Yes. I just want to make the point that you are eating someone's flesh. You know, I don't, so I don't talk about meat. I talk about flesh and, but even for dairy and eggs, there's no way to humanely produce cow's milk. I mean, people don't realize that cows have to be pregnant in order to produce milk, yeah. and they're almost always artificially inseminated. And then, you know, when they are used up, basically, when they aren't giving as much milk as their human uh, owners want, they kill them. Yeah. And this is done on family farms and organic free range farms everywhere. Yeah. They don't just let the cows go out to pasture and retire peacefully. That's, that's a myth. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so I really wish more people would wake up to this. Yeah. And yeah. I think correcting the language really helps. I mean, one of the phrases that really drives me nuts is when people say, you know, 
ethically raised meat. You don't raise meat. Right. Meat yeah. is not walking around there's, there's on not, a field. Yeah, there's not that happy is, meat. No, it's, that's yeah. just incredibly rude to me. And people are like, well, who cares? It's a cow. It's like, have some compassion. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, people talk about intelligence. I mean, I knew someone who said, you know, who he was basically an omnivore, but he wouldn't eat octop octopuses or octopi because they were intelligent. Like, well, do you eat pigs then? Because they're smarter than dogs. And he just rolled his eyes. But, mm. you know, people don't realize the hypocrisy there. Right. But even if an animal isn't intelligent, who cares? I mean, the thing is, can they feel pain? Can yeah. they suffer? Can and on the flip side, can they experience joy? Yeah. That is enough. You yeah. don't need to be smart to, you know. Well, and, and who said who says what's smart? I mean, we, we right. as humans, we gauge intelligence in, you know, in a very humanistic way or human-centered way. Uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, th these animals are incredibly intelligent because guess what? They are not causing climate change. They are not <laughs> uh, shooting each other at the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But again, <laughs> even if we decided that, you know, by our human scale, all animals are dumb that is no reason to kill them that's just being bullies we yeah. are bullying them we are saying yeah. we have we have more technology than you do and therefore we can oppress you yeah and that's yeah. just awful and yeah. you know i don't think we should treat you know animals that way any more than we should treat humans that way you know i'm talking about people who have no financial, medical, or other obstacles to becoming vegan, which I feel, especially in the U.S., is the overwhelming majority of people. Yeah. And if there are people who have trouble, you know, going vegan because of legitimate issues, then we should help them. And we should, you know, like the Food Empowerment Project, one of my favorite organizations founded by the wonderful uh, Lauren Ornelas, yes. is working to improve conditions, you know, for food deserts and also for farm workers. They see the connections. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. You wonderful know? organization. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of FEP. Yeah. And Lauren's been on the show on the podcast. Oh, good, good, good. Yes, absolutely. I figured you knew her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah she is a wonderful advocate for uh, marginalized humans as well yes. as non-humans. Yeah. I could go on forever about this, yeah. but basically I don't, yeah, it is a hoax. I do not buy the idea that there is a humane way to consume the bodies or skins or eggs or milk of other animals. Just don't do it. It's unfortunate that that people are are being pacified by these labels. You know, uh, it's it, you definitely can get duped into thinking that everything's okay now because there's all these new labels. So the whole, I think people think that there's probably an industry wide shift to better conditions. You know, because of all the language that they're seeing and the labels that they're seeing, but actually really overall, if you look at the majority of animal agriculture, it's just getting worse. I mean, it's not getting better. So I hope people can understand that it is a hoax. It is. Yeah. Not. It's like greenwashing. I mean, yeah. if there's a shift to making labels, you know, that are more appealing so people spend more money on this stuff and then they complain that being vegan is expensive. It's like, hello, if you can afford the premium charge on this so-called ethically raised, you know, animal products, you can afford to be vegan. Right. Yeah. I mean, period. Right. End of sentence. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Humane washing. You know, humane you washing. Green that's washing. What it is. This is exactly. this is humane washing. Yeah. It's humane washing. Yeah.
So Pax, we are probably going to need to to wrap up soon, but but I wanted to ask if there was anything else you wanted to talk about. Sure. Well, just with all the gun violence in the news lately, I mean, it's been on my mind a lot. Yeah. And I am an advocate not of gun control, but of gun abolition. Mm. I basically want to wipe out firearms from the face of the earth, not just from civilians, but from police and the military. I'm black. I'm not a big fan of the police. Okay, so I feel (laughs) like even if we got a handle on all the weapons, on all the, you know, no more illegal weapons trading, uh, no more so-called assault weapons. The police, you know, are still going to be an issue. The military with our nuclear weapons that can wipe out entire civilizations is still going to be an issue. Basically, I want to rid the world of all weapons that are purposely made to kill another human being. Yeah. And I've written an essay about this called Dare to Disarm. I wrote it years ago. It's the most important thing I've ever written and hardly anyone's read it because it's not things I usually write about. But I am a pacifist, you know, Pax Ahimsa. That's my name. It goes with being vegan. Mm. And I've anticipated a lot of the objections like people talk about, well, what about hunting rifles? Like, yo, don't hunt. You know, what about shooting? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or what about shooting animals that are charging at you? It's like, well, why are you in their territory in the first place? You know, or <laughs> yeah. shooting animals that are eating your livestock. It's like, why are you raising livestock? You know, yeah. I mean, uh, and Second no Amendment, reason. no good you know, reason. People, people yeah. talk about the Second Amendment. It's like, look, this Constitution was written, you know, hundreds of years ago in a completely different society than we have today. We cannot use that as an excuse forever. I'm tired and sick and tired of all the killing and all the excuses for killing. And I don't, you know, I certainly don't oppose gun control. That's a start. I just don't think it goes far enough. Mm. I feel like we need to have a voluntary shift where people give up their guns. And this is going to take a long time. You know, it's probably not going to happen within my lifetime, but that's what activism is. It's the long view. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate this because all you ever really hear about is gun reform or not. And right. nobody's really talking about, well, let's just get rid of them all together, except for Canada. I mean, you know, <laughs> Canada, they are in other places they are, but we're uh, just so, oh God, ridiculous here in the U.S. with our guns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We so worship far- guns in this country, you know, yeah, What is? and there's, there's that? a spike in gun sales whenever there's a mass shooting because people are afraid of people like me who want to get rid of all the guns. But again, I am not seeking to to outlaw them. I mean, I would like to, but I feel like if that were done, people would still get a hold of them illegally. And again, the police, you know, and the military would still be legally be able to end my life, you know? So I'm not happy about that. I want us to evolve to a society that realizes that nobody, no healthy human being wants to point a gun at another person and and kill them. That's just not a healthy thing to do. That's right. Under any circumstances. And we need to, you know, if there are truly dangerous people, we need to develop non-lethal ways to restrain them. Like I'm a big science fiction fan. I love Star Trek. Why can't we have phasers? Yeah. Phasers on stun. Yeah. Phasers (laughs) on stun. There is no technical reason, in my opinion, why we could not develop that technology. This is a choice. 
That's Tasers right. are not good enough. That involves like a projectile and it's, it has other issues. Very painful. Yeah. Painful. People have died actually from being tased. I'm talking yeah. about truly non-lethal, you know, stunning technology. Right. That's right. what we need. Get yeah. rid of the guns, make phasers for, you know, cases where you really do have to stop a dangerous person. Yeah. And other than that, no more guns, no more bombs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you I know. love it. Preach. I Peace. love it. That's Ahimsa <laughs> is my middle name. I got to yes, preach it. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. We need a consciousness shift. You're absolutely right. Because if we just outlaw them, people will figure out a way. They'll start 3D printing them and whatever the hell. No, um, they're already doing that as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely need the consciousness shift uh, to just not have these things in our lives. I so agree. And, and it is so frustrating when I hear well, but, but we'll keep hunting rifles, just yeah. hunting, just for hunting. Guns should be for, I was like, well, don't kill animals either. No, that's, yeah. that's not okay. Well, I'd love to put a link to your article. What, what was it called? I love the dare, the dare to disarm. Dare to disarm. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that work and, and for mentioning it. It's, it's true. It's, it's, uh, it's so, I think on everyone's mind right now and uh, as it should be. And, you know, we have to talk about it. We've got to do something about this. It's just well, getting horrible. It's a cycle, you know, that, I mean, it's just started up again now that the pandemic is dying down. This has just started up again. There's a mass shooting, thoughts and prayers. People talk about passing a law. Nothing happens. Yeah. Two uh, weeks later, <laughs> right. the same thing. I, I don't want to laugh, but it's just, it's yeah, not no, going to change. It, it is laughable. It's horrible. Yeah. But I mean, nothing happens except in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Canada's doing some awesome stuff. Let's, uh, let's learn from them. You know, uh. we, we need to be humble. Mm. I really can't stand American exceptionalism. We are not the greatest country on earth. I'm not saying any other country is either. I'm more of a globalist in that way. Yeah. But yeah. we need to stop thinking that our way is the only way or the best way or that dead school children are acceptable as a price for freedom. That's just <sighs> disgusting. Yeah. That is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. 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 So true. Um, wow. Well, we do want to, to try to uh, bring it back around to some hope. I know it's hard <laughs> with yeah. everything that's going on, yeah. uh, but, uh, but, you know, it is important to be hopeful, to look for the positive, to look for the good so that we can go on. So I would love to know what gives you hope for the future. So what gives me hope is the ability of humans to grow and evolve. I mean, I've seen it myself. Hearts and minds can change. Mm. I mean, for us to evolve to a truly peaceful society is going to take time. It's going to be beyond our lifetimes, but that's what advocacy and activism is about, you know, seeing things for the long term. Yeah. Like we talked about Vine Sanctuary and Vine actually stands for veganism is the next evolution. Yeah. I love that because it's not yeah. just about you know, who we are eating, I like to say, rather than what we are eating, because animals are people too, as yes. far as I'm concerned. It's about peace. It's about nonviolence. It's about compassion, about ecofeminism. you know, and I see leaders like yourself and Patrice Jones and Lauren Ornelas and AFCO and Breeze Harper and just many, many leaders that are giving me hope for a future that's kinder to 
human and non-human animals as well. Mm. So that's what keeps me going. I love it. I love it. Wonderful. Well, Pax, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Really, really appreciate uh, your powerful voice in the movement. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Hope. I really enjoyed talking with you. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I hope that this episode was informative, and if you know someone who needs to hear this show uh, or would like to hear this show, please share it with them. If you are listening on an app, please scroll down to those ratings and give us a five-star rating and maybe a review. That helps us so much to reach more listeners with this important information. Happy Pride to you. I hope you find a way to celebrate and to support the queer community this month. McKinsey and Pax provided a bunch of great resources that are in the show notes. So please go check those out. Get educated. Join a celebration. Live compassionately and live vegan.